I'm Bianca Vivion, and this is Ask Viv. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 10. I'm so, so, so can't even overstate how excited I am about today's episode. We are in the double digits now. If there was ever any doubt or any hesitation or reluctance or wondering, would we make it? We're here and we're here together. This podcast has not just been about me, but it's been about all of us. When I began, I thought about how self-conscious I was and how much courage that it took to just sit in front of a microphone the first time I did this four months ago and just say dear Viv because it's embarrassing it's one of those things that you're really talking to yourself and you're really having to talk yourself into having a lot more expertise and psychoanalysis and romance and art and culture than you really do and you just hope that someone believes you and that someone feels it and it's an idea that I knew that I wanted to put out into the world but I could never imagine how fulfilling it would be to see how many people would get behind me and would stand beside me and say I needed this and I felt that and I want to talk more about this and I want to explore this more within myself because that's all I've ever imagined and it's something that to be honest though people view me as very successful for my age being so early in my 20s I'm also one of those people that I never found a lot of fulfillment in doing things like writing for the New York Times or NPR because those things are all prestige but I couldn't get get to the community that I really wanted to reach and it came a time where I had to take a chance on myself and say that the community that I wanted to reach was one that I was going to have to create and as an artist it's very very difficult to start because you give so much consideration to your audience and in this time where perception matters so much and clout and followers and listenership and readership matters so much you think will anyone give a damn and you think am I going to take that risk with my reputation which I one point had been backed by all of these huge outlets will I take that risk to just stand on my own two feet with only my voice over a one track stereo record and say I'm Bianca Vivion and this is Ask Viv and I took that risk but what I hadn't anticipated is how many people would take that risk with me because you know my motto for Ask Viv was always risk it all to tell the truth and it's my bio on basically everything but I realized that it was a two-way streak and that every single week you all were writing into me with crazy shit I got people asking me about abortion and leaving their boyfriends and moving away from sick mothers and talking about their ambitions and their dreams and their friends and their heartbreak and their families and their homes and no matter if it was ever anonymous or not that takes a lot of strength to do and it takes a lot of vulnerability to do and you trusted your stories with me because you thought that I would be honest and you thought that I would tell the truth and so episode 10 is not just an amalgamation of me talking and giving my thoughts it's a community and a relationship that we've built and that I honor and you know what it's so funny because when I was at episode one and I was sitting there just trying to remember how to work Pro Tools, I was thinking, wow, when I get to episode 10, it's going to be a huge deal. And I'm going to throw a listening party and I'm going to throw t-shirts out of a t-shirt cannon. And it was just going to be a real movie because I thought that the celebration was going to be in how big episode 10 
10 was going to be. But in reality, episode 10 is just me sitting here recording again like I do every week, every other week. And that is the gift. The gift is the creation in and of itself. And I think that it's so interesting because I've been thinking a lot about what makes a good artist. What makes a good artist in and of themselves and what makes a good artist when they go out into the world. And the two things I've been thinking of the most lately have been courage and consistency because it takes consistency to produce something not one time but 10 times and then 20 times over and over again and then it takes courage to know that maybe those things won't get that much acknowledgement or maybe there will be no t-shirt cannon and listening party waiting on the other side of 10 different attempts but it does not matter because Ask Viv is a lot of things but what it's not it's not a brand and it's not a product it's a community and what I realize is that I am not an actor but I'm also not an advertiser because I'm not selling the truth I'm not packaging it up and putting a filter over it and telling you that this is what you should believe because this is not a self-help book this is me going out in the world and saying that I was tired of certain things being packaged to be palatable and consumable and then put a price tag on it and sell comfort to people who were already comfortable with the things that they thought and were already thinking that they loved themselves even though they didn't love themselves thinking that they knew themselves even though they didn't know themselves and then having the audacity to go out in the world and tell other people about themselves I was tired of that I wanted to build out a community in which there were more questions than answers and people left out into the world thinking I need to think harder and be better and do better not just for myself but for the people around me and I knew that because I couldn't find that community and I had reached to the upper echelons of journalism and publication and that community was not there that I had an artistic responsibility to create that community and when I think about what a good artist is it's someone who understands that the truth is not a commodity the truth is a risk and we're going to risk absolutely everything to tell the truth and it's not just risking being vulnerable and asking questions about things that we've already wanted to know on an anonymous platform it's saying you know what when i find the truth it might mean destroying everything that i believed about myself and others and we do that every single week and so episode 10 is not just 300 minutes of us bantering back and forth on abstract expressionism and what our boyfriends did to us or what our mother said to us this is us doing real 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 work that is necessary and so when I say thank you thank you thank you and not just congratulations to me on episode 10 but congratulations to you on episode 10 and congratulations to us for all of the good things to come and the small celebrations in every single episode up to episode 100 when we're really going to have the t-shirt cannon and we're really going to have the listening party to just celebrate in the process of truth telling and taking risks on ourselves and taking risk on this community. And so with that being said, I'm going to get right into these questions because you know that's my favorite part. Dear Viv, you said in a tweet that the Black community, Black women specifically, have a very unhealthy relationship to Beyonce. Can you explain what you mean by that? So if you've ever had a conversation with a large group of Black women about Beyonce, then you know that that is one of the most off-limits subjects for controversy. You cannot say anything controversial bad 
about Beyonce, period, because you are going to get so sicked upon by so many people who just swear to God that you're trying to deny her of all talent. But I'm saying that the relationship that black women have with Beyonce, it's not just idolatry. It's not just her being the perfect image of a woman in the collective mind. It's so much deeper than that because we've had so many women that are that to us. At one point, Diana Ross was that in the collective mind. At one point, it was Tina Turner. And it's Rihanna, but people still don't have that kind of relationship with Rihanna. And it's because Beyonce is one of those people that has had so much control over how she is perceived. And her entire career has been built off of creating a perception of herself that is a perception of somebody that is fully autonomous, that is fully in control of their own life, of all aspects of their career. And it's not until she released Lemonade or we saw the elevator incident with Solange that collectively we started maybe thinking this woman is not perfect and that she does not have every single aspect of her life under control the way that we thought that she did. But even those incidents, she packaged, reproduced, and sanitized for the public mind to say, actually, one, maybe you're too poor to understand that. If there's a billion dollars in an elevator, sometimes shit just goes down. Or she says, oh yeah, you know, I had this thing with my husband, but look, now I have twins, I'm married, I'm happy again, we worked it out, we're going on this world tour where we're gonna sell you marriage and frustration and redemption and infidelity, and you're gonna purchase it at $1,000 for a luxury ticket per person. And we don't see anything wrong with that as black women because it's something that she's quite literally done her entire career. And I was one of those people that up until I was an adult really thought that Beyonce was the perfect woman. And I think it's because black women want to believe that somebody really can be completely autonomous and in control of their own life because we're the type of people who so much of our life is out of our control because of the society that we live in, that it's an aspiration that we have. But also we're the type of people, ambitious, educated black women that are constantly sanitizing their own pain to create public personas for ourselves. And I talk to my sister about this a lot because she goes to an HBCU. And if you've ever been to a historically black college or university, you know when you get on a campus, it's very rare that you see any black girl whose hair is not done and who doesn't look presentable and nice for the world. And these values are encouraged because they don't want you to see them look unkempt or off guard or vulnerable in any kind of manner, because that would mean that you see them as human and in that they're exposed with all of their pain. And it's not just Beyonce. She represents the heights of that phenomenon, but it's every Michelle Obama. It's every Maxine Waters. It was even Whitney Houston, who in the public eye was supposed to be perfect so that they could not just be something that black girls could aspire to, but they could also be something palatable to the white imagination who inherently view black women as uneducated, inferior, and highly sexualized. So instead, they could be very career ambitious, highly educated, intelligent, and poised, and you just wanted to be like them because they had everything. And it's so interesting because Beyonce goes to such great links to not just protect that image but commodify it. You have this situation just two weeks ago where Tiffany Haddish comes out in public and says an actress bit Beyonce in the face at a party and Beyonce immediately comes out with a song and says if you're at a party with me you're gonna have to sign a non-disclosure agreement and she had to immediately take it, produce it, sanitize it, and repackage a situation out into the world because for experience, unadulterated experience that is unplanned and unpackaged to just happen to Beyonce 
Beyonce is unfathomable to her public because we've allowed this public imagination of black women as superheroes, as something more than human, to override our good judgment about people, which we know every single person is flawed. Every single person is trying to survive, even somebody that has billions of dollars and so much money and so much fame. I remember the most interesting story that I ever heard about Beyonce is when she said that the worst thing about being famous was that she couldn't go to church anymore. And I thought about the fact that she is not even allowed to have a spiritual place of worship in public because of what people treat her like and how that says much more about us than it says about Beyonce. Because what happens when we don't allow a person to be a person? And it's not just Beyonce, it's a larger systemic thing that people, these systems in society do to black women and what we do to ourselves when we don't allow ourselves to be private people in public. And I think it's why the world is now ready for a Solange, despite the fact that she's been such a creative and a mastermind this entire time, her entire career, because we want to see a black woman who can be vulnerable in public. And we want to see a black woman who can say like, this is me and I'm going to dye my hair and I'm going to have a child at 17 and raise him on my own until he's a teenager. I'm going to get married to a man that's nearly twice my age. I'm going to fight with a grown man in an elevator. I'm going to be publicly drunk. I'm going to be enraged. I'm going to talk about the shit that nobody wants to talk about. I'm going to make things specifically for black people. And I'm going to publicly admit that I have a sickness because I am a person. And I think that it's one of those things that I love Beyonce so much because I thought that she was superwoman when I was a kid, but I realized I was doing a disservice to Beyonce. Nobody has that amount of autonomy over their own life. The most beautiful, perfect woman on earth could have her husband cheat on her and just have to take that. Because Keisha up the street's husband cheated on her and there's no album coming out and she's not throwing a concert. She's gonna have to work through that in her public and private life with everybody knowing and having to hold up her head regardless. And I wish that more black women knew that that was not just possible, but that was okay. And that we should not be putting anyone up on a pedestal to the extent where we cannot see how much it affects our perception of ourselves that we would even think that it is good to have a life in which you are perfect in the public eye and then in the private eye you're experiencing pain. And Nina Simone taught us that and Maya Angelou taught us that. And there's not just the Oprahs and the Whitney Houstons and the Beyonce's and the Michelle Obama's and the Maxine Waters who appear only through the image of their own ambition and that are doing something differently with their life besides that. And that should not be an untouchable image in our collective psyche as black women. Dear Viv, I come from a background where politics are not discussed much at all, and recently, I've realized how negatively that's influenced my views on society and what is going on in society. Do you have any good books that you think could help someone like me to become more knowledgeable about politics? And do you have any tips on how to help bring awareness of politics to my family? Here's the thing, I could definitely recommend you things like The New Jim Crow, by Michelle Alexander, which is all about these ways in which our political and justice system is basically fixed so that black people never get ahead. But the only issue with recommending books like that that are about policy and education and crime and statistics and is that they don't speak plainly enough. So instead, I'll tell you about the things that 
radicalized and politicized me. The first book that I ever read that really, really touched me and had me oriented in leftist politics was Notes of a Native Son because James Baldwin is very, very eloquent, but he also speaks very plainly about the way things are and the way that the world is. And I would also say that I just read Malcolm X Speaks, which is a very short book that you can actually find a PDF online to. And it's all of Malcolm X's later speeches about white supremacy and inequality and segregation and even self-hate. Another book is James Baldwin's The Price of the Ticket, which is really about the true political and sociological cost of whiteness to both black Americans and to white Americans. It talks about psychology. It talks about politics. I could list off tons of books and to be honest if you want I will just post a reading list on my Twitter of things that could help you orient your politics but really it would help you orient my politics and when I say this is obviously I want everyone to take extreme leftist politics but at the same time you live politics through your own lived reality like I know that when my boyfriend came into his political being it was because he was reading books about Puerto Rico as a colony and it's because he's Puerto Rican that he started to understand just the extent to which he had been marginalized and he had been targeted and he had been made to fail in his life and he could have only come through that realization through the history of things that affect his present experience and so if you're somebody who is Argentinian or you're Chinese you have to look at the world through your own history and the things that affect your family. And that's not just how you politicize yourself, but it's how you politicize them too. Politics seems sometimes like this big thing in the sky where we talk about the White House and Congress, but no, politics is the way that even police interact with your community, your door-to-door, the way that housing, food, and resources are allocated to your community. Those are all very political. And it's not to basically get into politics, but it's to understand that you've always been a political being and that if you think that you have no politics, it means that you have bad politics because an apolitical person is more dangerous than even the person with the worst of politics because it means that they're complicit in evils that they don't bother to understand. And so think about the things that affect your life. Think about how race affects your life. Think about your financial status. Even where you are in the country, if your family is farmers, that's political. If your family are bankers, that's even more political. If your father is a police, that orients him in a very fucked up political system. And so you politicize your family by understanding where you fit into these different systems. So you have to first say, who am I in a very basic terms? What is my age? What is my race? What is my nationality? What is my familial history? What do I eat every day? All of these things are political. And then you can go look for literature that pertains to that. And so I want you to find that out and then come back to me about who you are. And then from there, I will recommend you literature, I promise. Dear Viv, what advice can you give to an aspiring writer? The key to being an aspiring anything is to start. So at one point I might have been an aspiring writer, but then I started writing. So you have to write and you have to write pretty much all the time. I was talking to my friend who's a pretty accomplished writer. We had dinner the other day and I was telling her about how I really, really want to really full on pursue this book that I'm writing because I'm looking for an agent. And she tells me, Bianca, you need to write a lot more. You need to write a lot more. And I'm somebody who has published tons of stuff, but I don't even write enough to be considered a professional writer, believe it or not. And so what did I do? The very next day I go and I publish an essay and that's exactly what you need to do. You have to write 
every single day. And another thing about being a writer is that you have to read. You have to read a lot, a lot more. I always tell my students this because I teach an English class at a community college and I tell them, if you want to be a good writer, you have to read because I didn't understand how to write and how to make anything eloquent until I read a lot. If you're not consistently reading, and I mean reading every day, then your writing is probably not that good because you need other people's voices to develop your own in order to produce even a unique or even slightly original angle. And if you're reading and you're writing, then you you are a writer. Forget that term aspirational. Dear Viv, so I was talking to this guy and I really like him. We've been talking for months. But he kind of ghosted me and he hasn't reached out. It goes both ways, but I feel so sad that he hasn't said anything. I'm so sorry to be asking you a question on the topic of men, but I'm so confused. Help. This could be one of those cases where you're both just a little bit emotionally immature and don't want to be the person that shows the slightest bit more interest. You need to throw that out the window and reach out to this guy and see what's going on. The thing is, is it could be a situation where he just is not that into you and you have to brace yourself for that and he hasn't reached out because he just didn't want to show the effort. Because trust me, when somebody wants to talk to you, they usually will reach out and talk to you, period. And I did a lot of mental gymnastics for a long time with several different men where I would wonder why they wouldn't reach out to me and show interest and it's because they weren't as interested as I wanted them to be or needed them to be in order to create a substantial relationship and in that I had to just move on or it could be a situation where this guy has stuff going on in his life like real stuff going on in his life and he hasn't reached out to you because you haven't reached out to him and he feels like he can't bring you into the real stuff that's going on in his life If you don't have that much going on in your life and you want someone in in your life, then you should go pursue them because there's a chance that they're going through something and maybe they need you to reach out. Sometimes we think to ourselves, okay, it's mutual. One person hasn't reached out and the other person hasn't reached out, so nobody's interested. But sometimes there's just an imbalance of a situation where maybe that guy is working three jobs, maybe he's going through something, maybe his dad is sick, whatever, and he's just reaching out to the people that are reaching out to him. Because sometimes people go through those times in their life of silence where they can't be as active in friendships or relationships and the other person has to pick up that slack where that person left off if they care enough and so you have to just evaluate the situation but that either way requires you reaching out to him throw your pride away and he might say something crazy like I really missed you I'm really glad that you reached out to talk to me because sometimes men surprise you believe it or not believe it or not ladies and gentlemen sometimes men surprise you sometimes when you show a little bit of faith and a little bit of love in people, they rise to the occasion. But disclaimer, sometimes they do not. And when they do not, I encourage you as fast as possible, as quickly as possible, like a band-aid, rip it off, throw it away, and move on to the next guy. Because I guarantee you that person, no matter how great they are, will also be waiting on the other side to stress you out. And final question, dear Viv, where do you shop? I made a commitment in 2018 that I was not going to buy sweatshop goods anymore. And I made this whole long treatise on Instagram about how terrible consumerism was and about how we don't need to be shopping. And I was a shopaholic. Like when I tell you, like me and my last boyfriend, our entire relationship was based off of our mutual love of clothes and we wear nice clothes. So now I exclusively shop at thrift stores and I know that's like, oh, whatever. Like she shops at thrift stores. Listen guys, I discovered something else 
else that I'm going to tell you about. And don't tell everybody because it's really on a need to know basis. eBay, I've been literally, listen, I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is I check my bids. I have gotten such beautiful, amazing designer, vintage, whatever clothes off of eBay. And the thing about eBay is that it's like a thrift store, but the only limitation is not only like the bidding system because it's pretty crazy and people are pretty ruthless, but it's you have to just imagine what you want. Like you have to be thinking, oh, do I want big sleeves? Do I want small sleeves? Do I want leather? Do I want animal print? But whatever you could possibly fathom combination of words, there's somebody selling something like it. And I've literally shopped on eBay every single day for the last three weeks and it's my newest love and I encourage all of you to shop on eBay for used goods because that's really my wave right now. I'm not buying anything new. I'm still not like at this point it's a political stance that I'm taking and so yes when you want to know where I shop I shop on eBay. I shop at thrift stores and if you see me flexing with my designer then just know somebody else buys it and that's a brag ladies. That's a brag. So that's all the time that we have for this episode this has been quite the journey double digits are really something else and the future is something to be excited about in 29 days i graduate from college alhamdulillah and tomorrow morning i'm headed off to new orleans for the weekend and so by the time i release this episode i will be there and i'm so excited because i've never been to new orleans i've never even been to louisiana as someone who grew up in the south and so i'll definitely update you on what happens down there next week Until then, more life, more love, more love. I'm Bianca Vivion, this is episode 10, and this is Ask Viv. We got back, it's not the same, and I'm afraid to say it out loud. Then you replied, could have done something, you got some nerve asking me now. When you let someone know 
Remember, I told you that we would be closer if 